Hello everyone, welcome to A Reason for Hope once again. We're glad you're joining us for our hour-long live broadcast, which is guided by your questions on the Bible. That's what we're all about here at Reason for Hope. You can send in your Bible questions through our multiple online platforms. And we have some wonderful guests here who will delve into the Word to find the answers to those questions. Delve is the word I use, and I'm going to own it and use it as much as I like. Um, my name is Dave Robson. I'll be your host today. Like I say, you, you can send in those questions. I'll be monitoring all those online platforms. Any question you have about the Bible could be a verse or passage of Scripture. It could be even something you're going through in your life, something you're walking through. You'd like a biblical perspective, maybe some counsel from the Word. Um, maybe Christianity as a whole, even other religions and worldviews. Really, any honest question that you have along those lines, as long as you know that the Bible is the source of the answers for us here at Reason for Hope. As I said, my name is Dave Robson. I'm your host today. I'll be watching along on those platforms as we go along on the show here with us today. We have Pastor Peter Martin, pastor and author and <coughs> amateur uh, carpenter and all kinds of things. How are you doing today? Doing all right. You doing all right? <laughs> it's called the woodworker. By the okay. way. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> my, my apologies. There's a difference. <laughs> I'm an I'm an amateur introductor. So I don't know. Carpenters just do carpet. Yeah. Oh wait. No. <laughs> <laughs> Carpet, that's carpenter. Yeah. Also with us, who usually playing the host role when I'm not here, but today you are a guest. I'm just making sure Peter stays in line. He's always very rough on the co-host when, <laughs> when it's just you and him. So yeah, I know. And he's always giggling at me yeah. whenever any slight little trip over a word. He's <laughs> yeah. Pastor Sean is not feeling well. <laughs> you re represent the audience. Yeah. yeah. Pastor Sean's not feeling well, so uh, I I am not in any way attempting to fill his shoes because they're not only enormous yeah. shoes but he's actually Literally and figuratively. a brilliant brilliant young man that i could never go toe-to-toe -to -toe on in any kind of uh <laughs> i don't know you're not so ability to uh <laughs> regurgitate data <laughs> like you can you do pretty good <clears throat> and adrian for the for those who don't know adrian van Bacter, um you know we, we all wear many hats but adrian is an illusionist and uses his gift uh to basically share the gospel you've been around the world and places where there's so-called real magic and <laughs> um, even things like we create in some of those things um, using illusion and then being able to share basically um, mm -hmm. uh, dismantle uh, their belief system and share the gospel and things like that so just an amazing gift that you have an amazing way that you you use it and um, some of us some people are getting to know you from the show or whatever and may not even know that that's part of what you do, but um, yeah, I'm the actual only occultist on the on the program. <laughs> you should do a little illusion whenever you come out on the show. With all these new cameras, I probably should, probably uh, should do a yeah. visual demonstration sometime of, uh, and and that way, you know, all the committed believers will start boycotting the yeah. program. That's right. They're, yep. they're doing black magic right. on real, real magic I mean, no, you did sell your soul but that's okay <laughs> I, I, to Jesus yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well I didn't he paid for it I I didn't really have I didn't have any no capital skin in the game <laughs> yeah. other I was I'm gonna, in debt <laughs> I was in debt big time that's right I'm gonna take back control of the show as we move forward <laughs> as we move forward thank you guys for being here thank you for your, your time and um, your dedication to, to the word and your years of study that that you bring um, to the show. We really we appreciate it. I know the listeners do as as well. Well, as I mentioned, A Reason for Hope, it's a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here in Tucson, Arizona, Mountain Standard Time. But of course, you can join us all around the world, wherever you may be. It's a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship 
here in Tucson. Uh, so you can go to calvarychristianfellowship.com. If you follow that watch live tab right there, that will take you to our live page. Anytime we're live, uh, you will find us there. Um, as we're live right now, you'll be able to sign in with a username of your choice and uh, be part of the show through the chat function there. As I said, I'll be right in there with you <clears throat> as you send your questions in. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events. Not only a reason for hope, but our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. We have Sunday morning services, of course, and Wednesday evening. Uh, currently in the Book of Acts on Sunday and the Book of Ezekiel Wednesday evening. So if you want to check us out um, or you know just get that teaching there, you're welcome to do that as well, of course. And if you're in the Tucson area, you can, you're welcome to come check us out. We're near Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway. But the direct link for that uh, live page, ccftucson.online.church, will take you right there. Or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com, as I mentioned. We're on Facebook as well. Look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. We appreciate if you would like and share. We'd love to widen our, our reach. Um, but that's another way you can join us. We're live there right now. You can send in your question through the chat function, and I will be uh, receiving that loud and clear as well. So facebook.com slash Tucson, or just look for or search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and you will find us. We have an app for your mobile device, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, once again. Look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. Um, there's a, a fair few Calvary Christian Fellowships around the world, so look for that red background, white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. That's our app and you can watch us on your mobile device as well. Um, we're also on Roku and Apple TV. We have a channel on there, so go to your channel store and you can add us as a channel. Watch us on your big screen as well if you have those devices or a Roku stick or box or one of those things, or a TV. A lot of TVs, you buy them with Roku built in, which is pretty cool these days, these newfangled things. Uh, we're on YouTube as well, live there as well right now. A Reason for Hope is the channel, A Reason for Hope on YouTube. Uh, it's a great place to go for archive. Anytime we've been live, it will be archived there. If you go to that live tab, you'll see a history of our videos there. So if you missed the show or want to watch it again because it was just so glorious, then that's the place to go to on YouTube. Um, YouTube.com slash at a reason for hope 546. But please don't type all that in. Just search for a reason for hope. That's the cool way of doing it. Our senior pastor here, Scott Richards, he's not with us today. He's usually with us Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. As far as I know, he'll be with us uh, tomorrow, Lord willing. But he's on Twitter. You can follow him at Scott R4H. That's Scott, letter R, number four, letter H on Twitter. He posts highlights from the show. He posts uh, commentary on world events and things as it pertains to um, uh, end, time, end times and prophecy, uh, those kind of things. It's very interesting to follow along. Also, some funnies and shenanigans and tomfoolery, as he likes to say. So, um, Scott Richards on YouTube, Scott R4H if you're a Twitter kind of person. We're on Rumble as well. We post our archive there. We're not live there, um, but we post other videos. So if you're on that platform, Rumble, A Reason for Hope, Bible Q&A, you will find us there as well. And we have an email address, of course, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for Hope all spelled out, no numbers, at gmail.com. Uh, you can send your questions there, and we do get to those on the, sh on the show as well. If you're Joining us on the radio, Reach Radio, or one of the other radio affiliates, um, you're not listening. We're not live with you, so to speak. You're listening to the last show we did pre-recorded. So keep that email address in mind: questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can use that to send your question, and of course, consider joining us on one of the other aforementioned live platforms when you're not on your drive time, and you'll be able to be part of the show live as well. I think that's it. I think I covered it all. Everything. Good job. 
Thank you. Wow, thanks, Peter. <laughs> Good job today. Adrian, would you like to uh, pray for us mm -hmm. before we go any further? We know we have some leftover <clears throat> questions from yesterday, and I'll, I'll be checking to see if questions are coming in already, but we'd love to pray and ask for Praying's the good. Go. Praying is good. Let's do that. Praying is good. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for the privilege of knowing you, <clears throat> and thank you for this precious, precious word that you have not only given to your people but have preserved throughout history so that we can sit here in 2023 and have a deeper uh, understanding of who you are and have access to your revelation unlike probably any group of people have had in history so we thank you for that privilege and help us to honor that by respecting your word and rightly handling it and we ask you to be here with us today as we attempt to help others watching and tuning in to have a, a better grasp of who you are and what your word has to say to them, as well as giving them a, a, a genuine hope for their lives. And we pray mm. this in the only name that we can pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, <clears throat> amen to that, thank you. Uh, well, a question from yesterday, if you guys are ready to jump right in, <clears throat> uh, from Jonathan. Um, he is asking a question about Acts chapter two, verse uh, six, Acts two, six. Did all the disciples speak at once and people heard it translated into their own tongues? Or did they all speak individually with a particular tongue, one at a time, and people understood it when their dialect was brought up? <coughs> Any insight into that? Yeah, let's start with just uh, reading the passage. So this is in Acts chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 5. So just a little background for those who are not familiar with this passage. Essentially what's happened is after the ascension of Christ, and the giving of the Holy Spirit, the apostles have now gone out and they are preaching the gospel for the first time. And it is happening at the Feast of Pentecost, which happens 50 days after the Feast of Passover, right? Hence the name Pentecost. And so after the giving of the Holy Spirit and Peter preaching the gospel, some of the other apostles are present with him. And this is what Luke records about what they're doing. So this is Luke chapter 2, I mean, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2, verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, and the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we each hear in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Fergia, and then he goes through a bunch of other, <laughs> a bunch of other nationalities. And he says, <laughs> "We hear them speaking in our own tongue, the wonderful works of God." So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "Whatever could this mean?" So we have an instance in which, again, one person is speaking. Right, Peter is giving the gospel presentation, and then the other apostles are next to him, and they are praising God, and people are hearing it in different languages. So the question is, is are they all just speaking words in a generic sense, and the Holy Spirit is supernaturally mm. empowering the hearers to interpret those words in their native tongue? Or are is the gift of tongues that was given to the apostles that each apostle that's praising God is praising God in a unique tongue, mm. and the people are interpreting <clears throat> it in the tongue? So, uh, so it would be like if I was preaching the gospel and Adrian and Dave were standing next to me, and they were both proclaiming goodness of God at the same time, 
but people listening who are hearing in different languages would be like, oh, like I hear Adrian talking in Hindi, you know, mm-hmm. and and someone else is saying, well, I hear Dave <clears throat> talking in Spanish, you know, so like what's going on? So again, the interpretations are either they're speaking a super in a supernatural way that everyone can interpret in their own language, or they're speaking in uh, in one language and then they're kind of shifting to another and, and things like that. Yeah, the way they categorize it is it's either the miracle language view or the miracle interpretation view. Right. Absolutely. Good, good, good way to put it. Now, the main reason why I believe that it would, uh, the way that we see this, is that the gift of tongues is that somebody is able to supernaturally speak in a language that they do not know, right? That, that they, they don't comprehend a language, they don't understand a language, but yet they're able to speak it in a moment because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? That would be my interpretation. The reason why I think that way is because the people, when they see it, they accuse them of being drunk. So if, if what they were doing was that supernatural, where they were just saying things and everybody heard it, the same words in a different language, number one, they wouldn't be able to know that unless they talked to one another. They're like, oh, it's so crazy. That's in Hindi. And the other person's like, no, you're crazy. It's in, it's in Chinese, you mm-hmm. know? And then they went back and forth. That would be the only way, and we don't see that. And number two, they, they wouldn't interpret it as, I think they're drunk, <clears throat> right? So it, it's very, clear to me that what's happening is each apostle is being given an ability to speak in a different but understandable language that the people are able to to hear. Anything you want to add to that or clarify? Yeah, that makes sense. The idea that they sneered at them and thought they were drunk. Now, those who argue for the miracle interpretation view are also those who argue that the gift of tongues as a prayer language is an ecstatic utterance. Hmm. And so that they were speaking, sort of speak, uh, so to speak, in a <laughs> heavenly language. Yeah. And therefore, because they were speaking in an unknown language, meaning a language that no one on earth speaks, that's what a prayer language view holds. So when Romans 8 talks about how we do not even know what to pray, but he himself utters or, or speaks in and moans groanings. and groans in words that are not utterable right. <laughs> that's sort of that's how that's what the prayer language is it's an ecstatic utterance it's not a human language it's a sort of a heavenly language and that god was taking gibberish in yeah. in, in the minds of the skeptics and in giving the gift of interpretation to those who heard it so those who were amazed were given the gift of interpretation. Those who snickered and thought they're drunk because they're babbling in nonsense, they were not given. God withheld what they were saying from them because of their hearts. So that's how some people might interpret the, or suggest the miracle interpretation view. But the miracle language view was that, no, all the disciples were speaking in languages they did not know, and that not everyone was in hearing all of them and knowing what all of them right, were saying, right. but you know, some of them heard them as speaking one language, but to the other guy, he would have been, he's speaking gibberish, but that one over there, I can hear, understand what he's saying. Right. And because there's, you know, there was 120 up there, so right, there's right. a lot of people talking. Right. And so it wasn't like one person was addressing the whole audience. They they heard this loud noise. A crowd a crowd <laughs> gathered. Yeah, <laughs> a big explosion. It's a took big place. big crowd because we know after the presentation of the gospel, three thousand. Three thousand. So saved. it's not a small crowd. Yeah, it was a, it was a, which means that it wasn't a small noise. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty. Yeah, the the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost uh, made a ruckus. Yeah, enough to gather at least three thousand men. Yeah, uh, and and so <clears throat> it makes a lot of sense that 
God gave them the miracle language view. Uh, and, and, and not only that, but isn't there a prophecy about how God will use the language of foreigners right. as a sign to the Israelites right. of mm. God's act in history here. Right. So in, in the main passage we have in which one of the apostles actually explains to us what the gift of tongues here. So here, here we have it practiced, but there's no explanation. Peter gives uh, an explanation. He just says that the Holy Spirit's been poured out, and now that's what you're seeing. Paul actually gives an explanation of what the gift of tongues is in the book of 1 Corinthians because the Corinthians were abusing the gift. And it seems he seems to <laughs> insinuate heavily that they're not actually using it. They're pretending to use it, but they're actually just speaking gibberish, and he's, he's making fun of them for that. Not really making fun of them, but correcting them sternly. I should put it that way. But in, in his explanation for it, he quotes from multiple passages in the Old Testament. Some is from Deuteronomy. Some of the quotations are from Isaiah. But all of them are regarding the same event. God says that if the people of Israel do not keep his commandments, they will be expelled from the land. And a sign that they did not follow through on what God told them is he says, you will hear foreign tongues or foreign languages. So in other words, you're going to be in Israel. Everyone's speaking Hebrew. You're good. And then you're going to be dispersed. And all of a sudden, you're going to be in lands where you do not know the language. And you're going to have to learn it. And that's exactly what happened. Paul applies that verse, and he says a similar thing has happened. The dispersion of the Jews that's happening during Paul's time is not a physical dispersion, but a spiritual one. They're being dispersed from the kingdom of heaven, not because God's throwing them out, because obviously Paul's a Jew and he takes a lot of lengths to explain that, but because they've rejected their coming Messiah. Hmm. And a sign that Paul says is going to come is that now you have these Gentiles, right? In Acts 10, Gentiles receive the gift, but even here, Jews are receiving the gift, and remember what Luke says, right? Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he says, the reason why these Jewish people could even understand these foreign languages is because they're in the dispersion. They're outside yeah. of the land of Israel. It even points that out in Acts that they came from the diaspora. They That's were right. all these Jews living in all these foreign nations uh, with different languages. And so when they gather together for Pentecost, the tradition is to speak Hebrew. That is the holy language. Kind of like if you were to hear a priest during when the mass, the, the Catholic mass was in right. Latin, if he were to do it in German or in Spanish, <laughs> everyone would start thinking, Father Pedro was drinking <laughs> a little too much of the communion wine <laughs> and is accidentally doing the mass in our language right. rather than the holy language. Now, there is an obscure view that suggests that no miracle took place other than to speak the word of God boldness, as we see in Acts 4. Right, that they're that, just <clears throat> speaking languages that they did know. Yeah, that, that when you ask the question, well, what did the language, what, okay, it gives us a list of all these people and where they're from, what were the languages? Um, and some would say, well, from what we know in history, it was Aramaic and Greek. <clears throat> and the reason they thought they were drunk was they thought, well, these guys are supposed to be speaking Hebrew. That is the holy language during this this, pen, this festival, right. this celebration. They're so out of it that they're actually <laughs> speaking like the language of commerce. Right. They're speaking Aramaic and Greek, and that's what astounded people, not because they were speaking the incorrect language, but because they were speaking the Word of God boldly mm -hmm. and talking about the things of God. <clears throat> Again, it's a obscure view because we don't know what all those languages are. I mean, if you were to go to India today, You've got the dozen or so 
national languages, but there are hundreds and hundreds of dialects. Right. And one guy can go from one town to the next and have no clue. Every time I was in a new city, I've done 12 tours in India, and every time I was in a new city, I had to have a new translator. And sometimes I'd have two translators because they had to translate for two different groups who could not even communicate with one another. You mean you have a village where half the people could not communicate with the other half of the people because of their upbringings and the dialects they were raised in. So if you have that kind of language today of dispersion of language, that's not a predominant language. Can you imagine being a dispersed Israelite for hundreds of years and having multiple generations grow up in these small communities, each with these, you know, obscure native dialects that we probably don't even know exist today. Um, And yet there was, of course, there was the language of commerce, Aramaic and Greek, but then, then there was the holy language, Hebrew, and then whatever that native dialect was, to show up and expect everyone to be speaking Hebrew, have these Southerners, <laughs> these yeah. these Hick uneducated, yeah, uneducated, speak a dialect that you know they can't know. Right. Uh, I would be astounded too, and I could understand how, if I was in that situation, and you have that holy language situation taking place, of how some could also at the same time think they're drunk, yeah. they're totally wasted. Yeah. They don't even know that we're supposed to be speaking Hebrew right now. That's what we're here for. We've gathered from all over the world. Obviously, that's the only way we can actually communicate. <laughs> yeah, and, and Peter's explanation of it in quoting Joel is that this is, he points to it and says this is evidence that the Holy Spirit has been poured out, dispersed mm-hmm. among the followers of Christ. Now, uh, so, yeah, I, I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah. You want to move on to the next question? Sure thing, yeah. Um, one point I was going to make, sorry if you covered this yeah. while I was doing some housekeeping, but there's a there's a, a, a piece of like doctrine hidden in there with tongues, right? The tongues are basically a praise language, right? When you, when someone speaks in tongues, what does the verse say? It's expressing the, the wonders of God or whatever it was. Yeah, that he when does someone not speak to men but here. to God and he yeah. speaks mysteries. Yeah, so it's not necessarily, um, I mean, I've heard that used as, a, as a, like a doctrine that if someone mm-hmm. comes and they speak, tongues over you and it's interpreted like you need to go to blah da, 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 whatever that's not the purpose of tongues it is a praise a language yeah. of praise yes. and worship so whenever we see the gift of tongues utilized in the book of acts it is utilized to praise god right so right, right here that's what's happening and that's why paul says that the gift of tongues is inferior to the gift of prophecy uh, again he's not saying that like the gift of tongues is bad or evil or stupid or something like that he's just saying that prophecy is better because tongues seems to be for that purpose, for praising God mm-hmm. and then having people interpret that praise. And that's really cool. It could be edifying, it could be really, really neat. But Peter is exercising the better gift in this moment. So the other disciples are exercising a really potent and amazing gift of God, namely the gift of tongues. But Peter's gift, the gift of prophecy, which is delivering the oracles of God and divining them before people, <laughs> that's the better gift. because it's actually giving people information, right? It's actually explaining to people what God is doing and mm-hmm. why, right? That's that's the much better gift. The, the tongues is great, right? And and Paul says that. It's, it's awesome. But he's like, mm-hmm. it, it's just not as good as prophecy because prophecy actually gives content to people. And he says edification, exhortation, and comfort, right? It can, it can actually move somebody, not just intellectually, but emotionally and spiritually toward God, and therefore it's a better one. Tongues is simply just, it's, it seems to be practiced for praise purposes. Right. 
But you are right, Dave. There is a view <clears throat> that says that the gift of tongues is a private prayer language, mm -hmm. and it's uh, a view held with the more charismatic uh, churches. But there is those who believe in the spiritual gifts for today, like we do here at Calvary, who say, no, 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 the gift of tongues is strictly a sign gift with the ability to speak an unknown language. It's mm. a human language, but it's a language that the speaker does not know. Hasn't learned, yeah. So it is still gibberish to someone <laughs> who doesn't know the language, but it's not an ecstatic utterance in the sense that it's gibberish to anybody. That is right. not a known human language. It is a sort of a heavenly, like, like Romans 8 says, uh, moans and groans. That's yeah. the view. I'm not saying that that view is correct. It's just that, that they'll look at Corinthians 14 and that Paul is not describing what's happening, he's prescribing that this is a private prayer language. This is how uh, churches who practice this can get around the idea that only one or two at the most, as Paul says in, right. in that same instruction, he said, look, let everything be done orderly. If someone yeah. does have something to say, make sure there's always someone there to interpret, make sure that the speaker is limited to one or two speakers at the most. But churches who say, well, no, we're going to have a moment now of Praying, praying to God, we're going to have a private prayer moment so everyone can pray. You can do silently in your own heart or out loud, and that's where you run into those churches where you hear everybody just, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, for some, can be quite jolting if you've not, right. you know, accustomed to that experience. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I would say that that view is probably not what the gift of tongues is being communicated about as far as, as Peter described. It is, I think, the, a sign gift to to communicate to the Israelites that God is moving because now people are miraculously speaking languages that they didn't ne they never learned right, right right very good well Jonathan thank you for that question um, hope that you would join us again today to uh, to hear the answer to that uh, we have a question from uh, Des um, he's asking about uh, shiny uh, shiny happy people I haven't seen it. I don't know if you guys have seen it but he asked uh, would you recommend watching shining happy people the same as you would Jesus Revolution as a documentary <laughs> about the Duggars. Uh, um, so I've watched the first episode. I, I told my wife, I'm like, you're going to have to watch the rest on your own, uh, mainly because I was just never into the whole Duggar phenomenon. Uh, so most of the documentary when I was watching it with her, I felt left out of because it doesn't really do a good job of explaining to you these are the Duggars, this is what's going on, and you should really care about these people it assumes that you already have some form of relationship with the Duggars and explains to you why their theology is bad. So I don't from, even know what a Duggar is. So from, have to <laughs> let me, let me give a, a brief rundown. So this is very different than the Jesus Revolution, which is a, documenting a work of God that happened that was good and, and that God used almost like a great awakening type moment within America of bringing a lot of the people in the hippie generation to himself. This is very different. So the Duggar family were this really interesting family that uh, they had a show on TLC called 19 Kids and Counting. And they became this, this nationwide phenomenon at like the peak of reality TV, when reality TV was becoming really, really big and you had Big Brother and uh, Real World and all that stuff. And it was kind of cool. It was like a glass of whole milk. You know, you, you got all these like really raunchy shows on. And then you got the Duggar family who are born again evangelical Christians living in the South. They believe that growing families are really, really cool. And they're talking about their faith in God. And they're talking about how they're raising their kids in a very wholesome way. And it was all really good, except for the fact that, number one, the teachings that they were following were 
a little bit manipulative and not great. I'll talk about some of them in a second. And then the second big problem was they were covering up for one of their children, Josh Duggar, uh, for molesting his sisters. And that was that was a huge scandal. They covered it up. They didn't talk about it. And then it came out later after the show was, I, mean, I think it was still on at the time. It was in 2015. And then it also came out that he was viewing child pornography and now he's in prison for a long time. So it was this huge bomb, this huge scandal. And now this documentary looks at the theology that the Duggars believed and it criticizes it. One of the reasons why I would say, like, if you're a fan of the Duggars and you, you grew up watching it and you thought it was really cool, it might be interesting to you. You might like it. One thing I'll tell you is that whoever created the documentary is very clearly anti-Christian. Mm. So they're, they're very clearly trying to insinuate that this is where, in fact, they call Christians fundies, as in fundamentalists. So it's almost like if you're a Christian fundamentalist, this is where you're going to go, right? There's there's no middle ground. There's no way to be fundamental when it comes to the Bible to say, I fundamentally believe everything that's in Scripture and not go in these these weird ways. So a couple things that are bad with their theology, it's actually kind of ironic because we were talking about some of them uh, the last couple weeks. So one of them is the quiverful theology. This is the idea. So we talked a couple weeks ago about how it's really important that Christians populate because it's it's one of the things that God has commanded us to do. It's a beautiful thing. Humanity is great. But the quiverful doctrine was a mixture of prosperity and it and almost like a Catholic belief, weirdly, where they said that any form of con- uh, any form of birth control was sinful. Mm-hmm. Any form was sinful. And it is your biblical mandate to populate the earth. Like you are supposed to yeah. procreate as much as you can. They take very seriously the noetic call to repopulate the earth. That's right. That's right. And so they're incredibly strict and it, it's really weird. And then they believe that that will cause God to bless you, right? That God is going to give you physical blessing at, to manifest in your life as a result of you adhering to this this there, call. There were several popular books in the 80s and 90s, the full quiver, that type of theology was being widely taught, surprisingly. And I can't remember that there there was this main teacher that the Duggars really liked. I can't remember his name, but he was like way into this and he was big. He, I think they said he would go on tours and over 7 million people would attend annually. So it, it was a big, big deal. The, the other thing that was problematic is that they had this almost Christian asceticism teaching where it's like no TV, no access to the house. It was very like close to Amish style living. And they saw that as like, we're not going to be influenced by the world. We're a city on a hill. We're not going to deal with any of that stuff. So homeschool your kids, keep them protected, keep them locked up. Don't let them do anything outside of the home. Uh, Really, really strict on the obedience to authority figures. So when you're watching it, you're like, these are all really good things, but they've been twisted into inappropriate behavior, right? They've, the, the idea of, I want to protect my kids from the world becomes, I want to literally inundate my kids from experiencing anything in the world. And that what starts as protection becomes overprotection and manipulation and actually setting your kids up to fail because now they have no idea what the world is all about and they're going to fall apart. And that's why one of the reasons why the Duggar family kind of fell apart. Um, and also it, it caused them to see their ministry as being so important that they were willing to lie about what was going on in their home in order to promote what they believed was the right thing to do. Uh, and then there's a couple other problems with their doctrine. If you want to watch the documentary, go for it. It, it. Like I said, if you were into 19 Kids and Counting, go for it. But just understand that going in. Uh, you're going to get a lot of the details of what happened, and uh, you're going to hear it from the family itself, which is good. But it's a definitely a slanted documentary. I, I struggle when people <clears throat> promote 
Christian failure. <laughs> mm. You know, I keep thinking of that Philippians passage, whatever's true, whatever's pure, whatever's right, whatever's good, if there's anything worthy of praise, yeah. you know, et cetera, <laughs> let your mind dwell on these things. Yeah. Uh, do not even speak what those uh, uh, do uh, in secret, you know, sinful. So I, I struggle to say, why would I want to investigate really a, a okay, I, I'm saddened that that not only was there false doctrine believed in, but that there was such moral failure as to put someone in prison by someone who was put on a pedestal for the world to see as a, an ideal way of living the Christian life. Yeah. <clears throat> I would rather not celebrate that by watching it personally, just because it's to me it's just another form of gossip, especially when you know the producers have an agenda. Yeah. Uh, I just don't want to fill my mind. You can see it like when I was watching it, I did feel like just bummed because they're asking the daughters that were affected by this person they're pressing them to answer and they're just bawling and they're like i do not want to talk about this and they mm. keep pressing them and so mm. it just makes you feel a little gross because it is it's clearly exploit exploitative and they probably sat them down and just said hey we want to hear your side of the story but then they definitely exploited the moment mm. um and, and and again like when you look at the parents i don't know enough about it to say that the parents are totally off it, it does seem like they're trying to be good Christians. I think they had a lot of bad theology in them, but I, I don't see, like, I believe what they did to their son was wrong. However, it's not like they encouraged the assault, and it's not like they approved of it. They did disapprove of it, and they did try to deal with it. They just deal, dealt with it in a very naive way. Um, they didn't deal with it in the way they should have. Mm -hmm. I, absolutely. So, uh, it reminds me of this great book that I read a little bit ago called The Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. And in the book, you have one brother who has faith in God, Alyosha, and he's like the hero. And everyone in the, in the book just hates his faith. And they're all atheists. And they're like, you're an idiot. You shouldn't believe this way. And his brothers try to talk him out of it. And then eventually he has this one guy he looks up to, Father Zosima, who's like the most amazing Christian guy ever. You know, like he, he came to Christ in this radical fashion, uh, you know, has this amazing testimony. He's just dedicated his life to serving the people in his community, and he dies. And some of the other fathers who are jealous of him, they say, well, if God was really with this guy, he wouldn't allow his body to rot. And so we'll know, we'll know if he really was loved by God, if his body still smells good after a couple days. Oh, God. And immediately his body starts rotting, and they're like, ah, you could smell the putrefaction of his flesh. You could smell hell coming out of his bones. And, and they just start slamming him, and, and Alyosha's faith is shaken in this massive way. And there's this really great line where uh, I think it's Alyosha talking, and he says, whenever someone sees someone on a pedestal, they want nothing more than to knock them down. So there's just something sick in our hearts as human beings that when we see people doing good, we just want to see them ruined. We, we want to see that, that facade crack and see beneath it. And like you said, I, I think that that's like a morbid fascination that we have. Uh, I don't think, again, I don't think you're, you're sinning by watching it, but it, I think that it could have a similar effect. Like I think watching it, it just might bum you out. You know, I don't know if it's really going to yeah. edify you in any ma amazing way. Unless, uh, yeah. I mean, if you were watching it to, especially when you get the anti-Christian Christian message from the production side of it, if you wanted to kind of be ready to respond to some of the things that people might say, then then I could see how there might be some benefit. But otherwise, I 
I just wouldn't. I mean, it wouldn't be wrong to see it, but I, I just wouldn't have an yeah. interest in personally. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, thank you, thank you guys. That's great. Great view of that. Um, thanks, Des, for that question. Hope that helps you out as you discern whether to watch that show or not. Uh, question from Yari: Does God give a person multiple spiritual gifts or just one? Uh, for instance, can an interpreter of tongues also have the gift of tongues? So, do we just receive one gift, or can we have multiple? Gifts. No, it's a it's a very good question. So there are several passages in which the gift of, the gifts of the spirit are uh, not really condensed, but Paul gives like short lists. He he never, by the way, says that his lists are exhaustive. Like this is all the gifts that you can get, you mm-hmm. know. Like, but he gives shortened <laughs> lists of what kind of gifts we can get from the Holy Spirit. One is in Romans chapter ten, I believe. The other is in Ephesians four. The other is in First Corinthians twelve and fourteen. And then uh, I think there's a final one in a different book that I can't remember off the top of my head. But essentially what gifts are, what I try to tell people is that, that you got to look them in two categories. There's the more supernatural spiritual gifts, and that would be gifts of healings, tongues, prophecy in, in a narrow sense. Those are kind of the more uh, supernatural spiritual gifts, and there's not very many of them. And we don't see them after the apostolic age, meaning after the, the, the first age of the church, the first century of the church, you see a massive receding of those types of hyper-supernatural gifts. And that, that makes sense. When you look at God's plan, that seems to be what he does, right? He pours out many, many supernatural gifts to establish an office or an edifice, like what he did with Moses or what he did with Elijah and then Elisha. And then he kind of recedes those a little bit as his what he sets up through the miracles stands on its own and is able to exercise power and authority. That's what he did with the church. So you have these massive supernatural gifts. It's not that they went away. As you said earlier, Adrian, we at Calvary don't believe that those supernatural gifts went away, but we do believe that God pulled them back. You don't see, like, mm-hmm. I see healings, right? I've seen healings as my, in my time as a Christian. I haven't seen anyone with what I would call the gift of healing, though. Not like the Apostle Paul, where his shadow fell on people and they started, mm-hmm. you know, they, they were healed. That, I haven't seen that. Uh, no one, no one has, right? There are many people who pretend to have that gift, and they're, they're, uh, without exception, called out as charlatans using some of the tricks that you would recognize. But uh, at any rate, other than that, you have a lot of gifts that what I would call is they're they're more aptitudes. That that would be, I think, a, a better word in English to describe them. So you have things like uh, administration, and you have things like teaching, and you have things like preaching, and you have things like help, uh, which is a very broad one. And you have like, a, and these are just very practical things that people can do to uplift the kingdom of God. And so I believe each Christian, every single person on this planet, has these natural aptitudes, these things that we excel at, if you want to put it that way. And if you figure out what you excel at, and you fixate your attention on it, you can grow that thing, and you can become really excellent at it. Um, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be well-rounded. It's not like, well, I have a teaching gift, so I don't really need the admin gift. Or, well, I have the helps gift, but do I really need to discern spirits? Do I really need to understand what's going on in people's heads? I don't think so. You know, I think that we should all try to develop, Paul says it, you should greatly yearn for all the gifts, right? We should mm-hmm. want all of them, try to develop them. <clears throat> but I think that we have natural aptitudes and predispositions. There are mm-hmm. things that you're just naturally going to excel at. Those are the things that you should probably spend the majority of your time trying to cultivate and grow. And uh, the, the other things are just going to come along. I, th- I think you should also work on those as well. Um, do, do you have a different view on that? or No, it's real similar. I, I, <clears throat> I know there's a lot of different uh, ways of explaining the different lists. <clears throat> Some could be like core lists that mean these are areas of giftedness, but not necessarily actual gifts. 
but I, I would say to answer the question, I would agree that every born-again Christian does exactly have at least one spiritual gift. Yeah. So yes, we all have spiritual gifts, and yes, you can have more than one, and that we should greatly desire. The fact that we should desire greater spiritual gifts is uh, to suggest the idea that we could have more than just one gift. Right. And that. <clears throat> and, and Paul I, says he, he had more than one. Right, yeah. and I do like the way you categorize it, that there are the sign gifts, yeah. uh, the miraculous sign gifts. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, it talks about how God used these gifts to, to authenticate the message of the apostles. Right. And, uh, and so that was one of the purposes of these miraculous gifts, was to just authenticate their message. And it, not that these gifts ceased, but that you became less prominent, less normative as one person put it i kind of appreciated that way of saying it is that they're just not as normative today but then there's the administrative or the service gifts like the ones that really help grow the functioning of the established body of christ the church so things like evangelism you know teaching preaching like the ephesians list you know he gave some as teachers some as pastors some as evangelists for the work of service to the building up of the body of christ so the idea that we're a body and the feet and the hands and the toes all have different functions and different purposes and we all need each other to work as an organism to grow the and fulfill really the great commission of making disciples and i think you know and me and you talk about this often because it's one of the things that your ministry tries to do is a lot of people because they don't have these very obvious externalized gifts they assume they don't have any and so people come to church and they don't know what their gifts are and they're not utilizing them and by the way you have them you're just not utilizing them for the purpose of building up the church you're utilizing them in your job and you're utilizing them in your Mm -hmm. home and that's great that is awesome but you also could use them to build the kingdom. So because people are like, wow, you know, I, I can't teach like that guy, or, whoa, you know, I can't do worship like him, or I can't evangelize at the scale that Adrian is, so I, I must not have these gifts. And so they just kind of disqualify themselves. And the answer is no, you have gifts, and they're really amazing. And, and Paul actually says, what are the more, what are the parts of the body that are more glorious, the ones that are seen or unseen? And he, the, the intimation there is that, that the ones that are unseen are far more important. So he's like, if, if you have a gift that would be quote unquote more unseen, that doesn't negate the fact that you have a gift. If you have an administrative gift, I'll tell you, as a pastor, we need administrators because when you get the gift of being a pastor, you lose the gift of administration. It's just a fact, you know. <laughs> uh, but you know, or a doctor, you lose the gift of handwriting. That's right. You know, it's just it, immediately right when you get your doctorate, it's just chicken scratch. You know, you can't you can't help it. And same pastor, right when you get ordained, bam, you know, you can't administrate. Uh, that administrators are very very important to the building up of the body of Christ. And again, all these other gifts could be used. Like if you have the gift of helps, what does that mean? It means that you have, an, uh, you have a delight in doing good for people. You are mm-hmm. a charitable individual. <clears throat> you are hospitable. You like hanging out with people. You like helping them out with their problems. That is very important because that makes you a very friendly person. It means that a lot of people are going to come to you in their time of need, and they're going to want to seek help from you, and you're going to provide it for them. And in seeing the goodness of God acted out, you might not be the most eloquent person. You might not be the most intellectually rigorous person that could debate all these theological issues or apologetic <laughs> ways. But your simple acting out of the gospel and your behavior 
will be far more influential in that person's life than maybe mm. a gospel presentation would. And then eventually you can give in your own way a, a gospel presentation, or you can invite the person to church. You'd be like, hey, come with me to church, you know, and, uh, just to see what it's like, or, you know, invite someone. I know that's what your organization does, is you yeah. encourage people to do that. In fact, if you wanted to, uh, we just finished live streaming a whole series called the Paraclete, which is the Greek word for spirit, or the Helper. the comforter, I'm sorry. Helper comforter, uh, yeah. not, uh, spirit is pneuma, but uh, <laughs> uh, the paraclete is the the, uh, the the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So if you go to, or you can either go to our website, faithsearch.org, and go to Live with Dr. Don and click on his Facebook fan page, or you can just do a search for Dr. Don Byerly on Facebook, go to our video archives, and go, we have, I think it's six or seven, uh, 45 minute lessons on the Holy Spirit really great content he goes through spiritual gifts and then also the friend to friend is a recent one and that is just really how to how the church works together as a body to fulfill the Great Commission yeah. and that kind of thing but I really I do appreciate this the way Paul talks about this in first Corinthians uh, 12. So glad you appreciate that. <laughs> it was well, okay. I, 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 mean, I would have worded yeah, it differently. Yeah. <laughs> it was I mean, okay. It's so, Sorry, it's so yeah. <laughs> when you think about any structure of people working together to do something, right. yeah. uh, to characterize it this way is really, um, you know, especially when you talk about how like people are marginalized yeah. and that you know he deals with that really in a in a roundabout way but yeah. he he talks about the gifts and just to summarize since we don't have a lot of time he talks about the various gifts in verse in chapter 12 verse 8 uh messages of wisdom uh, gifts and he talks about how this is all through the same spirit same baptism uh same lord uh some have gifts of healing performing miracles prophecy distinguishing between spirits or messages uh different kinds of languages interpretation of languages he says but one of the same spirit is active in all these distributing to each person as he wills mm. he says for as the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of that body though many are one body so also is christ mm. for we are all baptized by the one spirit into the one body whether jews or greeks whether slaves or free and we are all made to drink of the one spirit so the body is not one part but many and if the foot should say because i'm not a hand i don't belong to the body like someone who thinks maybe they are don't have a spiritual gift yeah. um, <clears throat> uh, or because if i'm not a hand i don't belong to the body and uh in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed each one, each one, not some, but each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, <clears throat> well, he goes on to say, and I'd encourage you to check it out, but... Uh, um, the idea that we have a diversity of individuals probably very well connected to our personalities and our, our passions and mm -hmm. interests and skills and uh, all to the serve the greater purpose of building up the body of Christ. Yeah. I was here early this morning and um, Tuesday mornings the, the cleaning team come in at 8 a.m. And I, I always tend to think, you know, we think of, you know, the opposite of what you just shared we think of like the pastor and the teachers being these great things but i always when i see the cleaning team here i'm like these are the i think these are the people that are going to be first in mm -hmm. the kingdom you know what i mean they come here nobody knows come here at eight o'clock on tuesday mornings and they clean they clean the toilets they clean up after these 
filthy people that come over <laughs> the weekend. Like us. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Just and I am the, the chiefest. Yeah. Well, um, and Paul goes on to say right in this same chapter that we should actually look upon those who have less exposure, less seemingly prominent, with greater honor. Mm. And, and, and yeah. not put on a pedestal those who have greater visibility. Yeah, yeah amen to that. <clears throat> Great. Uh, well, you... Yari, thank you for that question. <laughs> I lose track of who the question's from. Thank you, Yari. Regular on our show, as you are. A question from John on Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. It says, if we honor our mother and father, we will have long lives on earth. How does this work? What's all that about? Well, if you honor your father and mother, you're going to live to a ripe old age. All right. <laughs> Next question. Uh, yeah, so basically, if you read the passage, Paul is quoting from the book of Exodus. And this is a quotation from the giving of the law, Exodus chapter 22, the Ten Commandments, as many people call it. So one of the Ten Commandments is to honor your father and mother, and God follows it up by giving a promise that if you honor your father and mother, he'll be well with you in the land and you will live long. Now, the intent there was not you as an individual will live long. It's you as a people will live in the land. Now, Paul takes that and he applies it to the church. He says, if we as the church, as, the, as this new move of God, this new gathering together of faithful to God, are going to live long, right? We're going to have a, a lasting impact, if you want to put it that way. Uh, we have to honor our father and mother. Now, unfortunately, in our culture, we have this weird thing. We talked about it a little bit yesterday with the destruction of the ideal. People in our culture have this weird thought that if you find an exception to the rule, it disproves the rule. And I'm not really sure where that came from, but it's like one of the dumbest argumentations ever. So like, for instance, people will say, well, of course, trans ideology is true. Well, how do you know that? Well, have you ever met a boy who wasn't entirely masculine? Boom, you know, therefore- <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah, mic drop. <laughs> therefore, this one exception proves that gender is on a spectrum. Or, or what about people with uh, Kleinfelder syndrome or people who are intersex? You know, that, doesn't that prove that it's on a, it's on a spectrum? It'd be like, no, that's, that's an exception. And it's an exception that proves the rule, right? If, if you win in, that's why we call it Kleinfelder syndrome. They don't go into the doctor and the doctor's like, well, you're just on the spectrum. You know, like, why, why are you shocked about that? There are people that don't fit you neatly into just, male and female. You have typical syndrome. Right, you're just, you're just one of many genders. Mm -hmm. uh, like, why do you bother? The reason why we diagnose it is because we recognize this is not how the human body ought yeah. to be. Right. Same the politically correct term would be atypical functioning of the human body versus typical. That's right. That's right. And so, as my wife likes to say, normal is just a button on the dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> and so, usually when I counsel people and we get to this verse, they're like, what if your dad was a jerk? You know, what if he was abusive to you? Are you telling me I have to honor my father and mother in that case? And the answer is no, that's an exception. But it's an exception that proves the rule. The rule is, is that as a general rule, we should always presuppose that my role is to respect my authority figures, including and especially my father and mother, through whom I understand God, his law, and everything else around it. Meaning I come into contact with authority, love, affection, everything I'm going to need to know as a human being through my parents. Now, they may have done a terrible job at that, but that is what they're giving me. And in fact, kids who have a neglectful or abusive parents, they learn that as being the rule for the rest of their life. And it might take them a long time to unlearn that garbage, right? <clears throat> so parents are the gatekeepers for how humanity is, whether you like it or not. And it makes sense that you would give them honor for having that role, giving them respect, giving them dignity in that role, and treating them well as a general rule. Now, if they are abusive, neglectful, horrible to you, 
that doesn't mean that you have to that uh, honoring them means that you have to put up with that or endure it in some weird way. It's just saying ideally that's how it works. Now, um, interestingly, it's kind of an aside. Different Jewish interpreters, I mean, not interpreters, but Jewish commentators on the Old Testament, when they looked at this passage that you're referencing, well, well Paul's referencing it, when they looked at the passage that, that uh, Paul's referencing, they said that the way that they would understand it is that the role that the father and mother have to the child does not actually go away because of this command. It actually accelerates its importance. So in other words, the, it wasn't supposed to be taken as me, a dad, looking at it and be like, yes, you must honor me, child. Otherwise, it's not going to be well with you in the land. You know, It was instead me being like, oh my gosh, the propagation of my family is on me. I'm supposed to raise up my child right. His honoring of me is only beneficial for him if I'm honorable. Hmm. That was the way that they interpreted it. And that's why the next thing he says is, and parents do not lead your children to wrath, right? That's the important thing. That puts a greater impact on you as a parent, not a lesser one. Hmm. And that's why in the book of Hosea, by the way, there's an instance where God says he will not judge the children. Right? He says, I'm not going to judge the daughters. Why? Because your dads have treated them like prostitutes and your husbands have bought them like prostitutes. So why would I judge them? And that's a really it, 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 convicting passage where God is saying there is a hierarchy and therefore to whom much is given, much is required. Right? If you have the top spot in the hierarchy, you're going to have the greatest account to give to the Lord. So ideally, that's the way it looks. I should always give my parents the benefit of the doubt, and I, I should always seek to have a relationship mm -hmm. with them and honor them mm -hmm. in all cases. However, that might not be possible, not because of my unwillingness, but because of their <clears throat> unwillingness to dwell with me in peace, right? They've made a decision to harm me, abuse me, and attack me, and I want to honor them, but they've made that impossible, mm -hmm. right? That's sometimes, unfortunately, what can happen inside of a family, and it's tragic Right? When I talk to people who are really trying to live out this passage, and I have, people who are really trying to honor parents who are not honorable, they are not blasé about this. They're not like, well, they told, called me a jerk once, so I'm out. You know, it's not on me anymore. It's always like, I have tried every time. Right? They, they're continuously trying. Yeah. I have tried and I've tried every single time. Every single time they abuse me, they use it as an opportunity to attack me. Hmm. And they unfortunately, again, have to draw that distance for that reason. And they set healthy boundaries. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to reconcile. But you got to do that. You, you can't do this to me anymore. Hmm. And some parents still say, well, tough. It's a tough, tough thing to do, especially when that parent is always reminding you, you should honor, aren't you a good Christian? Shouldn't you honor your father and mother and make you feel guilty? And when you make those attempts and you realize, gosh, I really don't have... I mean, having been one of those, or am one of those kids who was raised with a neglectful, hurtful, yeah. abusive parent. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I can honor my dad and mom for some of the things that they instilled in me that were good, like my dad always instilling me the ideal of honesty. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, was, I grew up as a very kind of honest, transparent kid, always tell the truth. That's what my dad always pursued truth and tell the truth. And so I can honor him for that. but not much more than that we had almost no relationship and how do you <coughs> excuse me how do you how do you live out though honoring your parents if they are i mean what does that mean to honor them despite themselves and can you is there a way to honor your parents even if they haven't shouldn't we honor them even though we've don't have reasons in our 
feeble mind to to honor them. <laughs> so, uh, the interesting thing about the word honor, and, and you see it in the Bible, there's actually a very literal translation of it, and that is actually to give money, <laughs> which I think is very interesting. So, um, Paul, for instance, in Romans 13, talks about giving honor to dignitaries, and he's clearly talking about taxes. Jesus uh, calls out the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's like, you don't honor your parents because you don't give them money. He's like, in the most literal way that you could take that, you don't do it. You give them like spiritual obeisance, but that doesn't mean anything. So I think the most, uh, the best way that we could take it is the loving your enemies type methodology of seek their good, right? That's how you honor them is you seek their good. And once again, setting yourself up as an object of abuse for an abuser is not good for them. It's not good for you either. And that's enough of a reason not to do it, but it's definitely not good for their soul, hmm. right? It, abusing, if I start to abuse my kids, that is not good for me, right? That is bad for me. And so that is not loving at all for them to put themselves in that position willingly for me to do that to them. So be very cautious. Again, seek their good, pray for them. If they have some sort of a need, try to meet it, a physical need, but use your boundaries, right? Have a boundary. This is, this is how, how close I could get to you without getting burned, you know, and that's what I'm gonna do. Uh, don't trust them for sure, because they might go against you depending on their personality. But that's kind of the general way of, I, I'm going to give honor to them in these practical senses. I'm going to love them in that general sense that Jesus commands, but I'm not going to put myself in a position to consistently be abused by this person. So honoring does not mean doing whatever they tell you to do, even right. as an adult. Mm. That's right, <laughs> yeah, and, and the apostles, right? Whether it is right in the eyes of God to do what you say or what he says, you be the judge. So there are some times where, again, uh, honoring your father and mother means not doing what they say. Hmm. Right. And that's that's very important to understand. And if you are in a situation where you're young and you're in an abusive household, please tell somebody hmm. you, your parents are lying to you. If they tell you that's an unchristian thing to do, that is not true. That is the most Christian thing to do to hmm. seek justice for their souls and their actions and behaviors. That is the most Christian thing that you can do. Hmm. Yeah. Very good. There you go. Well, we're right at the end of the show. Believe it or not, Adrian, thank you so much. This was fun to have you as a guest, I'm not the host. I get to be a at the same time Peter <laughs> thank you as well thank you for all your questions if we didn't get your question join us again tomorrow and restate them if you would that's the best way to get our attention but if not we'll, we'll get to some of those leftover questions see you tomorrow God bless you guys you've been listening to A Reason for Hope thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word one question of the heart at a time until we meet again we would love to connect with you you can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com you can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.